Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Today, we are joined by Derek J. Melton, Chief Operating Officer of Care STL Health, a federally qualified community-based healthcare system that provides medical care to underserved, underinsured, and uninsured populations in St. Louis. Derek, welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello. How are you all doing? We are doing good. We're doing good. So, Derek, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, for our listeners who may not know, can you please share with us where does the Derek J. Melton story or journey begin? Oh, man, I, I would just open up and say the journey began for me. So I'm from Jackson, Mississippi, you know, a small uh, town or I would say a, a small town compared to others. Um, lack of resources in Mississippi, one of the poorest states, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I mean, it started there. Started with my ancestors, started with my grandparents, my parents, uh, pretty much instilled in me, you know, the values of not even getting into healthcare, right? It's just the value of people and how to respect others uh, with dignity and pride and those type of things. So, you know, who am I? Uh, it's basically, it's, it's all attributed to my upbringing. And, you know, basically from, um, from, from, from where I come from and, uh, you know, again, you know, being from a sub, being from a Southern state, it's a little different as I've been experiencing here in St. Louis. So, um, yeah. And with that being said, we, as, as, as people and as professionals, we still growing. So again, man, I, I'm, I'm easy to say that I'm still trying to identify myself today, right. Still learning, still growing. So, but I think, uh, me having that great, um, stability and a great foundation is really, really, really helping. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And I think we're really grateful to have you here and kind of give your insight and, and, and really just kind of touch on your journey. Um, as, as a young and upcoming administrator, we're always interested to hear what it is as far as the do's, the don'ts, some of the things that you tried to avoid early on in your career and some of the things that you would advise um, those interested in health administration to kind of like, you know, stay away from or to kind of lean towards. One of the things that I would say that has worked for me over the past is that uh, being a listener listening to people, not listening to react, but listening to actually listen. Um, it's real hard for administrators and executives to kind of grasp the knowledge to say that, hey, there's more than one way to do something, right? Uh, um, you know, if, if, if you know, you guys are hiring me, and you're the executive, and you're asking me my input on something, really, really valuable, man. really listening to uh, how do we get from one place to another. I think people work at best when they're creative on the job. So that's extremely important uh, not to lose someone's creativity or take it away, uh, making sure that not only some people are being heard, but they also feel and think that they're being valued. So being heard and being valued to me, in my mind, they, they, uh, they coincide the same, but there's two, there's still two different things. And I think um, you can't really have one without the other. Uh, and just making sure, again, that uh, people have a voice um, and you're really, really leaning on people uh, to do the things that they're, that they're passionate about doing and they're strong to doing it. So with that comes, it's a, it's a high level of responsibility is how you hire, 
make sure the right people are not only on the bus, but on the right seats and those type of things is extremely helpful. Um, one of the things that I would also um, encourage young professionals is coming in is, is to challenge the status quo. Learn how to challenge the status quo in a professional way. Uh, what I do think healthcare, it is, it is growing. I mean, it's growing at a very, very rapid pace. Um, I consider myself a pretty savvy person in terms of finagle through the systems, the electronic health systems and like technology and those things. But guess what? You got smarter than me. So it's even for someone like me is saying, hey, this is a better way to do it. I went to school for this. I have it hot off the press. You may have went through the same program, but it was 15 years ago. So let's explore these type of ways. Um, and it's learning how to articulate that in a professional way. Uh, but at the same time, it's challenging the status quo. And it kind of, if you look at that, it comes back in full circle about being heard, being valued and respected to be able to do the jobs that you guys were uh, hired to do. Man, this is, this is why it is so awesome to be able to connect with established leaders like yourself, but that are still relatively young. Cause I feel like, you know, just the insight that you gave just right there, you know, looking for creativity. I think a big piece about professionally challenging the status quo is something that I know for myself, you know, doing a fellowship and, you know, Brandon doing an administrative fellowship really wasn't a lesson that I learned um, in graduate at, at any point in my development, to be completely honest. And I kind of want to back up because I'm hearing a lot of key words to your upbringing. Uh, my father is from Mississippi, uh, uh, okay. Green, Greenwood, Greenwood, Mississippi. So, you know, no, exactly where the wood is. yeah, yeah. So I saw, so, so I, you know, the sit plays a little bit of a near and dear, uh, you know, place for my heart. Um, and, you know, he spoke with me as well about, you know, the reality of growing up, you know, in that kind of environment. Um, you know, what was it for you, you know, this people first mindset, obviously being exposed to some of the inequities and disparities there, but what was it for you that kind of pushed you towards healthcare, pushed you towards that, that interest in, in the, the medical field? So I started early in my career. Um, I took a job at a, a mental health facility. It was geared towards individual with, individuals with disabilities and delayed uh, from a mental com from a mental capacity and standpoint. Uh, my main job was to enroll uh, patients and customers into this program, which was a Medicaid waiver program, and then make sure that they sought out to the care that they needed. So boots on the ground, man. I'm in the Delta. I'm in Greenwood, right? Like I'm beating the streets down, making sure that these plan of cares are being met, making sure that the nurses are showing that they're getting respite care, you know, they're getting to the facilities. And with that being said, making sure that they're still what? Enrolled into Medicaid because that is the program that pays for all, all of this. So I'm just, I mean, I have a caseload of 50, 60 individuals and I'm literally in a van, right? Riding through the Delta, making sure that, you know, patients are getting taken care of, checking up on the nurses, you know, coordinating with the hospitals and, and the facilities. So that passion to really work with my caseload and not really just work with the individuals, but work with the parents and see how grateful they were just to be an advocate for them because lack of resources, sometimes, you know, they didn't even have the ability to get their uh, loved one to the hospital. So to see me show up and then create that pathway to be able to facilitate those things, it was great. It was, they were very, very grateful. Um, I never wanted to be a doctor, never wanted to be a nurse or anything like that, but I always got a passionate for helping people. I was in the healthcare field in that realm, you know, working with the city elected officials to do what? To expand that program so that 
people like myself can help more people. You know, expanding Medicaid was very, very important. So that's where the healthcare piece came about it. And then it plugs back into what we just talked about, the passionate, caring for people first, the, you know, just loving what you do and then just kind of just putting others before yourself. It's just, it was just a perfect fit. I think that's well said. Um, you know, a couple of things really resonated with me based on what you've been talking about in regards to, you know, working along the right people, um, whether that be um, different resources or whatever the case may be, but making sure that they're in the right position to help everybody succeed in the right way. Um, just based on your experience coming from um, an academic medical center, a large institution to care SDL, which is a smaller institution and everything in between, because, you know, you have an extensive background. Do you feel like there is a lot of ground to be had, made um, in regards to, uh, you know, just identifying talent and recruiting uh, effectively and also retaining, um, I guess, the, the right, right attitude, the right culture? Because as we all know, that old adage, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So whatever it is we might have planned, if we don't have the right tools, the right resources, the right attitude or environment, I don't think it's going to come to fruition. So just based on your experience, do you think that's something that we, we should probably start looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the answer to your questions is yes, 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 and yes. Um, coming from Mississippi again, so keep in mind, I worked at WashU. That's the, the, the grand mecca of healthcare, right? Um, I come from Mississippi, a, a, a tremendous healthcare system. The, number, the, level, the only level one trauma uh, hospital in the state of Mississippi, the only children's hospital in the state of Mississippi, um, you know, Mississippi is number one in nothing other than teen pregnancy, diabetes in the poorest state, uh, we're the poorest state in the country, et cetera, et cetera. So coming from that area and coming from the population in which we show, even though it's an academic medical center, we taught, we trained, we did those type of things, the FQHC model is still there. And, and what do I mean by that is you're still treating poor people. Even what we consider maybe rich or uh, meeting the poverty line, it's really, really not that much money. Like, right, the, the, uh, the education piece is just really not there. I think the standard um, reading literacy in the state of Mississippi is like the third grade. Uh, and you have, you know, places in the Delta that's pulling that down, obviously. But, I mean, the metrics are what they are. So it's really, really working in that system despite of, you know, it's being a, a pretty – pretty nice size uh, system. It's the second largest employer uh, for the state of Mississippi, but it's still bringing those principles to a care STL health. Um, I think at times it is hard to identify talent because without the Derek Melton's of the world, or the Brandon's and the Winston's kind of advocating on the behalf of like the health center, people don't understand what they get from it. I'm going to be honest with you. I come home at night, like, it, I've never had a job other than, you know, going to college and playing basketball. I never had a job to where it's like, hey, I need, I have to go home. Like, I got to go home, right? Like, I want to stay anymore. And then the next day you get anxiety, like, dang, I can't, I can't wait to 6.30 in the morning. Like, I'm ready to go to work, you know, because it's, it's just that. You know, I've had some great jobs, but come on, let's just be real. We were all looking at the clock for Friday so we can get off, right? And it, it's just, it is what it is. Um, but at CareCL, I get that. I know what I'm there for. I know the people that we are serving needs my help. But again, without experiencing that, it's hard to articulate someone from a mega institution like, hey, man, it's OK to take care of these X, Y and people. But I'm telling you to do this type of work, 
it really feels good, right? So when you talk about attracting talent, I mean, you guys, just the two of you for what you're doing, man, it's, uh, you will have like the Harvards and the Cleveland clinics and all those places beating your door down. But I will say it's some very humbling work on the other side of things. Yeah, that's um, very, very interesting insight. Uh, that's one of the things actually that definitely stuck out to me um, initially by just doing a little research is the amount of leadership experience you have had at different levels in terms of healthcare organizations or healthcare facilities. And I think, you know, number one, just going forward, we need more of that because care is not provided only in an academic medical setting, you know, in this country. So we have to have administrators and leaders who understand, you know, like you said, that, you know, the FQHC model exists in a place like the University of Mississippi healthcare system. I, can you go a little bit deeper into just your experience though, because it's a big deal, right? You know, to be at, you know, essentially the primary medical center you were speaking to in the state of Missouri, excuse me, in Mississippi, and have that leadership role to transition into a WashU, which is a completely different environment um, from a cultural, social, but even a healthcare standpoint piece is also quite different than to transition into Care SDL, a fully baked FQHC healthcare system. Uh, that's a lot of different experience. It's a lot of different nuances in those areas. So can you just speak to some of the different things you've observed throughout your career? Yeah. So basically you asked me, Winston, what was the double L hockey stick was I thinking, right? So, uh, no, that's okay, man. That's okay. So again, Mississippi, um, I cannot say enough how my work in Mississippi has prepared me for any other administrative role after. I would say I was able to get every aspect of a healthcare executive level coaching that I needed there. And then the experience was of so many levels. So again, you got the FQHC experience, right? You're part of an academic medical center. You have the private, you have the community-based clinics. You have over 60, 70 or so clinics throughout the state that we were responsible for. We have partnerships, like all of those things play in. So it was kind of the, the perfect hodgepodge, you know, for you to learn and for you to actually grow. And then addition to that is how do you do that with no money? Right? Because come on, think back to what I said, we're the poorest state. I mean, how do you do that with no money, right? So that's the one. And then the icing on the cake is, and I, I would tell you all, is always get you a great mentor and a teacher, someone that really, really cares about you. I have a great friend and a great mentor. A lot of people say stay away from having your bosses and mentor the same person, but he allowed me to mess up and make mistakes and find my own identity, right? And it's person even to today that I just call and you know bounce ideas off of and sometimes he would tell me like what are you asking me for you know the answer to this but it's just hearing yourself talk through it um is extremely important uh very very smart person but at the same time he's a more genuine person is what i was really attracted to and then just kind of coming through the experience is creating a model within myself internally and working with other people as to always saying yes so the thing was that i go by we say yes. We always say yes. So whatever the answer may be no, let's work to get towards the yes. So the experience was very, very humbling. 
from Mississippi, I was able to uh, help a lot of people that's in my community where I grew up from. I mean, I was known in the community. People knew who I was. Um, but at the time, it's, you know, I'm a very competitive person. It's, it's you know, and I, I try to always do better or, or think, you know, that I can do better. So why should you call? Right. And it's kind of like, you know, in the words of sports, you're coming from the from the from the semi-pro to the pros. Like, hey, you got called up to the pros. Like, what you gonna do? And um, after some going back and forth, because my trajectory was very, very high, at least what I thought in Mississippi, um, I took the chance. You know, and it wasn't just me, it was a chance about with my family as well. So, um, you know, we moved to St. Louis and I took the job uh, as, a, as the, um, it was an executive job, the senior director of clinic operations for, um, for the Department of Orthopedics. Very, very large um, um, scale academic medical center department. They do a lot of great things, cutting edge, research, pacing volume. It's basically people in the academic world fly all over the country just to come in and look at the chest, the Chesterfield surgery center, right? Just to figure out what the chair and what the executive director and the, uh, and my position, like, what are you guys are doing? Like to be able to form this relationship and to be able to do the things and partner with Barnes. So again, I was only there a little bit over a year, but man, I learned a whole lot. I learned a lot. Uh, I was able to grow as a person. Uh, First time in my life, hear me, Winston and Brandon, first time in my life, I worked with the medical center or I had a job to where really money wasn't the issue. It wasn't like, hey, we can't treat, we can't do this because we're broke, right? It was always, we can't, we aren't going to do this because we don't have the funds to support it. Um, and I think one thing that got me this job was like, hey, you know, I'm used to working as, the, as, a, as the margin is very, very low. And we would always balance the spreadsheet, right? So here, if you have all of these resources, I'm like, man, dude, what can I do with this? Like, you know, I can help grow this place and even make it even better because, you know, money is important. Um, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't everything. So again, I learned a lot. I worked with the smartest of the smart. I mean, and, and the, the, um, the people all over the country it was a very, very great experience. But um, for me as a person, I was still missing that Southern feel, the touch, some of the stuff that we talked about at the beginning, it got me out of the bed, it made your job fun, it made you understand your why. And Carousel did that for me. They do that for me. Carousel held do it for me. So it was, they called, they offered the position, and it was, how can I make a difference in the community? And when I rolled around the community and I understand that, you know, this huge academic medical center is three blocks away from probably the poorest place in St. Louis. I'm like, how can that be? Right. How can that be? And it's not from the lack of ability to carry in my in my position. I feel like it's the lack of awareness. So I really feel like what did I learn from it? I learned how to work in that capacity of a huge academic medical center. But another thing that I really, really learned was I learned how to create relationships. So now I'm taking those relationships back um, to watch you. And then I'm partnering with those people and just making the whole Carousel Health Bundle uh, a little bit better. So uh, I know that's a lot. I probably still didn't answer your question in terms of what I learned and what I got from each one of those places. But here I am and I'm happy to go uh, even further if you guys need me to.
No, I think I, I think that covered the question perfectly, to be honest with you. And it gave us a lot to think about um, in regards to um, just transitioning between uh, different institutions, uh, working with different patient populations, uh, working with different faculty groups, um, service lines, whatever the case may be. And uh, just as somebody who, you know, Winston probably went through similar things, you, you feel like you're, you deserve to be at the table. Um, you feel like your credentials speak towards it. Uh, you know, you have plenty of master's degree, Lean Six Sigma. Were there ever times that you felt in imposter syndrome? And I think this is this is a question I think I had um, as a graduate student. Most of our audience are graduate students. Um, how do you adjust as somebody who's coming into a C-suite position? Of course, you've had the executive experience, but just you know, when the when the accountability is a little bit higher and the stakes are a little bit higher, how do you adjust um, and, and how do you step up for that for that opportunity? No, that's that's a very good question. Um, I will say to you two, do you ever question yourself as a person and kind of the imposter syndrome? Of course. Right. Of course. Do you ever reach back and say, hey, I belong here because, first of all, it's destined for me to be and I have the skill set to be at this table? Of course. Uh, and if this wasn't recorded, I'd probably say another word. Um, so for me, it's really, really hitting the reset button and knowing your, knowing your audience and knowing your purpose and creating uh, a few things. You know, I've, I've highlighted a few things to you guys that are core principles to me, saying that when we're talking about jobs and decision making, some things I just I just won't waver on, Winston, right? I won't waver on, Brandon. Because these are three things that I just have to have. Everything else, it, it relates to what you said. It's, it's being a transformational leader. It's being able to pivot from a, a Mississippi to WashU to a Caris Teal Health and still bring in and add value. Um, even though the models are different, if you take your core principles and understand the strategy and kind of blend the two together, you'll find yourself doing phenomenal work. It's phenomenal work. So um for me it's always been about the people it's always been about helping people serving people and doing whatever it is that i can do uh thankful for me and i am blessed is that i pick up on finances i know how to create spreadsheets pnls turn margins i know what drives a healthcare center i know what the fqacs are looking for so that's my way of giving back i can't treat a patient but what I can do is I can help fund missions so that the clinicians can treat patients. I can come up with creative ways to, you know, conversate or talk to people to be able to build another building. Not for me to put my name on the building. It's to build the building to do what? See and treat more patients. And I think once you kind of get into that mind frame and then understanding and kind of just being secure with who you are, sitting at the table or being with different people, the message doesn't change. So in a nutshell, regardless of what I say, what I speak, it goes back to the first question. Who is Derek Melton? When I sit down at whatever table it is, they're going to get Derek Melton. I think uh, this is deep. This is this is deep because um, I think you've kind of, in a really simple way, outlined all of us, for all of us, you know, how do you take the passion that you have for wanting to serve your community? Um, you know, master or 
combined with, I think, you know, the skills, obviously the drive and sit in that space and be yourself comfortably. And, you know, to get really, really into it, you know, I definitely struggled as a young black male coming from Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia, to Barnes-Jewish Hospital. I see the T, I see the polo, I see the polo B. Oh, shout out Morehouse School of Medicine. Um, but, you know, I struggled with that. I struggled with it, you know, uh, from from just a cultural standpoint, you know, it was just a complete culture shock in terms of even my voice literally when at that table, right? Um, and so have you ever, you know, from, from Mississippi to Missouri, you know, have you ever specifically experiencing things when it comes to your identity, uh, racially, you know, um, gender-wise, just being a Black man again, and how have you navigated that space? And you said at the beginning, you know, your identity is still something that you're developing, but do you feel like you've, you're at a point where you can fully step into that and, and be who you are in any space regardless? Yeah, absolutely. So I can answer that question and I can give you guys examples. I promise you it'll take over an hour. Mm. So this, for me, this is important. This, this piece is extremely important. So you asked me earlier, what would I change and what would I do differently? And what would I kind of put more focus on? It's just what you said. Mm. I wouldn't try to be somebody that I'm not. Mm. And I, I failed to say that or articulate it, but in, in a nutshell, that's what I meant. But I failed to not try to be someone that someone that other people are opposed to who I am. So before I answer that question, um, one thing that I did notice me personally is that I felt that I had to look a certain way. I had to act a certain way, right? I had to talk a certain way. I had to sound a certain way just to be accepted by this, this, this group of people, wherever, whoever, wherever, what they look like they are, right? I just felt like I had to be in the mode. But in an instance, what I learned was fitting in with them did not fit my skill set because I bought the Southern, whatever it was I told you guys that I was about. And that's what they need. They need that piece because all of them look and sound the same. Mm -hmm. So now if you're trying to spend so much time trying to fit into the mold, you're actually going to find yourself fitting out. I'll tell you, uh, Winston, you know, I would, you know, I would even working with an executive coach, I would come home so many days just so so tired, just so just emotionally drained. It's because, dude, you've been role playing for 12 hours. You've been role playing, like you've been acting. You are an actor. So you have been somebody five, seven, whatever days a week that you're not, and it just gets emotionally tired. I think a lot of it uh, comes with confidence. A lot of it comes with just understanding who you are. And again, those four principles uh, and just being able to well, like, listen, you know, no one has the full answers to any of the questions and understanding that piece and being able to enter, insert your uh, your professional message is important. And it's something that that I just had to become comfortable with uh, recently, even in St. Louis. I've had people to, you know, come to me and like, you know, Zoom calls, right? It's like, oh, you're from Mississippi. You don't sound like you're from Mississippi. I was like, well, I started to disappoint you that. You know, I don't sound like a country bumpkin and I really have a car. I didn't come here in a horse and carry chariot, so I apologize. You know, um, it's sometimes it's kind of it's it's kind of it's not shocking, but it's kind of disappointing. But I, I just move past it. Um, you know, I have people they pull me to the side and just, you know, you guys like have buildings in Mississippi, like, you know, 
Like, yeah, we have buildings and, you know, it's just, it's just how TV portray you to be is just understanding that once you come in the room, not to be super sensitive about it, but for what people don't know, that's the perception. Um, me, I've never been the person that demands the room. I don't demand the room come in. It's like, hey, I'm the boss. I'm the CEO or the senior director. All right, let's, let's get this meeting started. It's no, you know what I mean? It's, again, you're leading by example. You're setting the presence up front, and then you just kind of go on with it. And then last, I know I'm being a little long-winded, is I've had people, you know, prior to COVID uh, come in, and I would literally be sitting at the head of the table in Mississippi. Now, check this out. The meet, people will just flood in the conference room and we'll be sitting down for five or 10 minutes. It's like, well, who's this Derek Melton guy? He's not even here. Like, he had this meeting. I'm like, it's me. Like, let's get started, right? And it's being able to adjust to that, but it's also being comfortable with yourself. So um, I know that's a lot. I said a whole lot, probably without saying anything, but it's really, you know, you just have to identify yourself. And once you become comfortable in that space, you just have to free it and just let it go, man. Trust me, because if you don't, you'll find yourself being someone that you're not uh, doing things that's outside of your character. In these spaces, you want it to be organic. Uh, a lot of the decisions that I make come from brain, heart, experience, and really just instinct. And you can't really think with your heart or your can't be. You can't have instincts if you're being somebody that you you know that you're really really not. So. I'll get off that uh, that high horse, but in a nutshell, that's uh, essentially the, the answer to your question. And these are all gems. Let me say that these are all gems. So let's let's just call them for what they are. We appreciate them sincerely. Uh, I know me personally, I've, I've had that issue since I've been here at Washu. We come from Morehouse, similar to Winston. Um, but you know, it's been a great experience. It's been a great experience because I'm able to be myself, and it's a very inclusive environment. Um, my my next question. For for you would be in regards to the the, the, the journey in which you're on now currently. Um, as somebody like yourself, what's the, what would be the next power move? You know what I mean? What would be the next step? Um, I know we're a little too early to say for sure, but yeah. um, just making the decisions that you made leading up until this point, mm-hmm. was there certain things that you lean towards? Um, maybe uh, living, I know you, you, have, you, have, you have your kids, your family. Is that something that definitely factored into your decision? Um, money, is that something that you had to look at? Um, just you know, how did you decipher on what was the next step for you? How did I decide what was the next step or how am I going to decide my next step? That's it. Oh man, I think I'll take both. Can I get both? both. Yeah, can you get both? So how I decided uh, is obviously a family thing, right? Um, man, believe it or not, yeah, I, my son is 12 and it just goes to show you how I lean on him, on my wife. I even talk to my five-year-old daughter and my 18-year-old daughter like for advice sometimes. And the thing about it is, so when we talk about creativity, they're always going to give it to you raw. They're always going to give it to you raw. So I'm in Mississippi. I do this whole blueprint of, you know, what Washu is, what I want to do, what I want to go, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I'm really trying to sell my son on transferring to school. He plays with one of the top five AAU teams in Mississippi. He's a, he's a decent athlete. I'm not here to brag on him, but uh, you know, he, he's doing well in school. He has friends, all the family, whatever, whatever. So I'm really trying to sell him, right? Um, so I sat down with him and I, I broke it down to him, the, you know, the opportunity, what we could be doing as a bigger city, talked to him about Jason Tatum, 
you know, all these other type of things, you know, what you can really be doing in St. Louis. And I'm, I was thinking for a minute he was going to push back and he looked at me and said, Dad, let's go get this bag. <laughs> he said, Daddy, let's go get this bag. I was like, what? What bag? He was like, let's go get this bag. I can play with those kids. I can learn with those kids. I can do that. You know, let, let's go get this bag. Uh, it was a little bit more complicated with my wife, uh, my five-year-old, well, times four-year-old, she transitioned my other kid. Uh, she was going to college, so she went away to uh, to Xavier anyway, so it really wasn't a big thing for her. But, uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, man, it's, it's really putting into consideration everything but above, but from a professional standpoint, it's two things, twofold. Where can I insert myself to where I can help? And also where I can insert myself, where I can learn. And I think for me, it's stepping into those stages. I've always been able to grasp things, take it to the next job, learn more, grab it, take it to the next job and learn more. Uh, from a money standpoint, uh, knock on wood, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, brother, oh, money don't matter, whatever, because it does. It, it really does. It really does. And you should really be paid for what you're worth and considered for what you're worth. But for me, it was not always everything early on in this part of my career because I realized that you may not get what you want now, but it sets you up to get what you want later. So a lot of people, you know, for me, it's it's just personal preference. It's like, do you want to, you know, have a great, great time in your prime or do you want to be able to have the best time the last 10 years of your career? So for me, it's the latter. And it's everything leading up to that to that final finale, right? That final point. Now, do I want to get paid in the uh, in the, in the interim? Heck yeah. Am I gonna get paid? Probably so. Uh, and that's that's that that matters. But it wasn't it wasn't everything. Um, in terms of like what's next to do, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. Um, my last four or five jobs, I'll tell you, man, it hadn't been not really just going on the website seeing what's out there. It's been, hey, we need this done. I know this guy named Derek Melton. Maybe he can help you. And it's been, oh, hey, an executive leader saying, hey, so-and-so, so-and-so left. You had your head down for a little bit. Can you come on and help us out with this on this side? So what I've been, without that being said, my promotions has always been come of, I guess, from me doing a great job, being a steward for everything that I've said and being able to lead teams and just working well with people. So what I would look to for the next job is whatever it is that I can bring from my current transition and whatever it is I can learn. And who knows, man, curious, yeah, maybe it. And if it is, I'm fine with that. I'm a-okay with that. I think um, that's, that's real. That's very real. And again, I think it's you, you sharing your mentality will be good. I think for a lot of people to hear, because one of the things that I took note of that you shared earlier was when you were in Mississippi, it was kind of like you were the franchise player, you know, to be completely honest, like you had your people, you knew everybody, you shaking hands, like that was your town. Right. And I think the dream that a lot of us have when we are, you know, uh, anybody, but particularly young you know, aspiring um, administrators of color in healthcare, right. we all want to do the same thing. We want to have some serious impact in our communities. And just looking at your experience, you've been able to do that. And I love that you said, um, you know, you have to have that creativity piece. Entering the field, I found it a little challenging, to be completely honest, to marry 
my creative energy with, you know, the actual roles and responsibilities of being a healthcare administrator and trying to get to focus on, you know, the real disparate communities. So for you, as someone who has to be very process driven, you know, you have as the COO, you know, of a federally qualified health system, um, you have to be driven towards outcomes, right? Like these are all things like the business is very real. How do you balance that with the creativity, with being more tapped in and with the community and, 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 and making sure that, you know, you really are an inclusive leader in terms of your skill set? Yeah, so growing up, I've always had a chip on my shoulder. I play sports. You know, I can I can go through the laundry list. I play at the national level, go to laundry list to where, you know, I would always say, what those kids from L.A. or, you know, St. Louis or, you know, Cali, D.C., New York, they're not better than us. It's just the opportunity, right? Some uh, sense of that was true. The other of it was just me being uh, naive and crazy. But I've always kept that same chip on my shoulder. Um, I'll tell you guys, and I'll go on record and say it, I applied for maybe 30 to 50 uh, executive fellowships, the ones that you guys are in. Guess how many interviews I got? I have two phone calls back, right? So when I see the resumes coming out and I see the people doing, oh, they trained at Harvard and Cleveland Clinic and YSU and you know, they did all these things. And I had to like, literally, I was trying to get experience. Like I was getting experience in a bus, in a van, in the middle of Delta, learning how to take care of people, right. And creating a business model while they were in fancy suits at the executive level, shadow with CEOs of the males of the world. Right. But in my mind, I, in my crazy mind, I'm like, they're not smarter. They're not more creative. They're, you know, what makes them different? What is the it factor? And it was me waking up every day, challenging myself to get that, to compete with that, right? So that was the internal piece. You know, the, the, the next thing is, it was really understanding what drives like processes. So I'll give you another example. Uh, when you talk about the creative juices, uh, I'll never forget in executive boardroom. I'm the director of, uh, of orthopedics, partner service, service, I mean, surgery service line in Mississippi. And that's uh, all academic medical centers do, right? You hit with furloughs. That's just, it's just what happens. And we were faced with a problem and a financial problem. And we had to cut costs, had to cut staff and those type of people. And we were doing this like at least once every year, year and a half. And so finally, in my mind, I'm like, we learned or I learned, why, why are we laying people off? Instead of cutting staff, why don't we do what? That's enhanced revenue. And it was like, no, there's it's not going to work. That's like, it will work. So instead of laying people off, let's just get more people to come in. Let's just work harder. Let's just, uh, you know, rev up the engine. Let's get us a runway to bring more money in and then we'll all run flat. And my boss was like, again, same guy that, that I referenced earlier, like, you think you can make that happen? I was like, I mean, if we can lead the team to bind into the mission, I mean, other than that, the alternative is we're going to have to fire people. And it was successful. So now when I'm hit with crunches and I'm understanding that, you know, at Care CL, you know, you're in a financial strain or you are really, really faced with uh, difficulties coming in, it's like, these people need their jobs, right? We have to serve community. We're here to serve patients. Let's not 
as executives, let's not make the easy way out. Let's not go and fire 100 people. Let's challenge ourselves to work harder, to do more, to get creative. And that's where the creative genes come from. So that's now when the, the, the normal thinkers is what I say is the first example. And I was like, okay, we're going to do it. How do we do it? That's where I bring value. That's where the process driven. That's where those type of uh, measurements come up. And I've been able to succeed in that realm and tamper in that space a lot. So I created a lot of success today. Thank you, man. I, I apologize. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Dean. Um, you know, I, I totally agree in regards to just as far as the process and everything that goes into that. Um, one of the things that kind of stood out to me as you were talking um, is, is that chip on your shoulder and, and kind of translating that over to the to the work job and knowing because I've had this conversation with pl plenty of graduate students up until this point who reached out and say, hey, you know, um, these fellowships are really competitive. Do you think if I don't get it, I won't have an opportunity to succeed? Um, and, I, and I tell them all the time, I mean, you know, I know plenty of people like yourself and you're one of the ones I do reference that, that, that you know, um, really just just made your own way, um, has done exceedingly well. And uh, my kudos to you. Um, and, and again, I think the, 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 the proof is in the pudding. So. Yeah. Well, don't 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 let that uh, sway you. You guys are still the smart ones, not me. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to be clear now. I want to be clear. <laughs> Now, it, it, it is refreshing, though, um, to hear a lot of what you have to say, even when you speak about um, kind of not the old thinkers or kind of just, you know, uh, that piece, because I oftentimes I think just as a young person in general, but definitely a young professional, you kind of sit back like, am I crazy? <laughs> or like, is there a different way to do things? Like, you know, can we do things? And I think the business side of healthcare for me, not being ever being exposed to just business or corporations in general and not really understanding how those kind of entities run, it was hard for me to really kind of understand, all right, where do you find this balance between how do we serve the community and how do we serve the business? But I think everything you shared, no joke, I think it was a really good, a really good explanation to how you do that. Um, one thing that I want to talk about, and I think it's, yeah. it's, it's easy to answer it because it's like, you know, it's where we from. These are our communities. Of course, we care. But at the same time, I can only imagine, you know, when you started out driving around in the Delta and even, you know, me being up here when I'm on certain blocks in St. Louis, it is overwhelming. It yeah. is overwhelming to think, you know, man, I have some kind of role to play in, you know, the community's uh, health care and well-being or health and well-being while knowing all of the bureaucratic political challenges that we often face. So what are the things that you do outside of work, offline, to help you kind of just re-energize, refill your cup every other day, or every day, I should say? Man, so first of all, things like this helps. Um, you know, you guys may think that I'm doing you a favor, and I'm not. You guys are actually doing me a favor. You know, to be able to speak among two intelligent, and I'm just going to call it what it is, African-American male that's going to make an impact on not just uh, the healthcare organization, but on our world. It's, it's, it's important. It's very, very important. Um, so I love to do things like this. I love to just get to know people. Um, I, I mean, I work out. I mean, got the Peloton in the back, right? So, you know, I ride and jog play golf and, you know, go work out of gym, play basketball, like those type of things. But, you know, those type of 
that is kind of like my rechargeable moment. Uh, I love to read books. Uh, I'm not saying that all the books that I read are healthy books, but I love to kind of just get out of the moment and let my brain explore. Uh, for me, that's extremely helpful. Um, and then other than that, man, just getting rest, getting rest and just being able to decompress. So in uh, summary, like to play golf, like to still play basketball, uh, work out, you know, on the side and just give myself a time to just to decompress. Um, I like just free time doing nothing, like waking up at five o'clock in the morning and just sitting in a dark room and just do nothing. It just kind of just get your thoughts together before the day starts. So. I love that. I got to ask, um, what position? What position in the ball? And could we have ever saw you in the league? Could man, you know, hey, I just told y'all I'm competitive. Yeah, you would have <laughs> saw me in the league, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, no, man. but so I played the point. Um, okay. And so I'll tell you, Winston, I think Brandon knows a little bit about this. My my will, it, it just runs dry, man. Mm. Uh, I'm a five foot nothing guard, two left, <laughs> two left feet, right? And it's, it's what it was. I do have a few accolades, though. Um, um, you know, coming up through high school, I was a top 100 player, signed D1 scholarship, played, you know, uh, those type of things. Uh, Nike All American, the, the list goes on and on and on. But, you know, the way that the, the NBA and the different leagues that they're transitioning now, man, those guys, man, there is no way you could have laced me up with Steph. <laughs> No way. No That's way. crazy. Skill level is different nowadays. It's different. It's different. And now, you know, uh, just jokingly kidding, you know, you, you probably couldn't tell me. I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago, 15 years ago. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I enjoy the game. I enjoy watching. Man, I, dude, I'm really, really enjoying my son. Just watching him go through the transition, it's, it's unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. So, yeah. Man, that's beautiful. I, you know, this is kind of, you know, random conversation now. Um, but yeah. just want to say, you know, this has been excellent. Thank you, you know, so much, uh, Derek, again, for giving us your time. I think you shared a lot of things that not only students, but just anybody um, would really find valuable. And again, you know, I think that access to conversations like this or what we're trying to provide for more people um, so that they know that there are more Derek Melton's out here in the world um, that are providing this kind of example of leadership for the Brandons and Winstons of the world. So uh, we just appreciate you um, in our last couple of uh, minutes here. Just want to give you a chance, uh, you know, any, you know, piece of advice, one thing, you know, you would have to share um, as we kind of wrap up our conversation with our audience today. Um. Just set goals for yourself. Set goals for yourself. Uh, a mentor of mine told me set realistic goals for yourself and unrealistic goals for yourself mm. and meet both. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you, people used to ask me fresh out of grad school, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I mean, I, to the top of my lungs, I want to be a senior. Yo, I want to run this major corporation and everything. For what we do, those are still goals, right? But at the same time, you know, do work, in my opinion, find work and find things that you are passionate about, find things that you are able to make an impact into doing, and um, find a way to do them well. And, and that's what it's about. Um, it's, it's For me, it's not about... Um, buying another car or a bigger house or, you 
know, doing those type of things and really, really just patting the check-ins account is how we can make an impact on just not just healthcare professionals, but I'll say it again, young African-American healthcare professionals in this world, because the disparities are so bad during these times in healthcare. If you don't have a Brandon and the Winston advocating for what the disparities are at the table, they will not get addressed. They won't. They, they will not get addressed. So for me is understanding how to articulate that in a, in a professional space and then bring actionable items to it. Um, so again, find out things that you're passionate about doing, you know, love your job, you know, keep, you know, keep your, you know, your family, you know, whatever your prayer beliefs are first, you know, make time for those things and always keep them front head. But, and then last, man, I would say is don't be afraid to be selfish. Don't be afraid to be selfish. So when it's time to say, excuse me, but I'm going to let the Mississippi come out. I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> I'm about to shut it down and go to the beach. Don't call me. Don't be able to put yourself on a charger and don't feel bad about doing it. So, you know, find time to put yourself first. Uh, do things that you enjoy doing uh, and just be who you are. Man, you guys are great. I promise you, you guys have more than enough to eat. You guys are more than enough the desk you are you guys are destined to be great 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 things i promise you i'm not just saying that uh because it's the right thing to say right now on the podcast i'm saying it because in my heart and in my spirit i truly believe it i've met you guys i understand you're doing it in the right way and don't let people tell you what you can't do but don't let that drive your motivation that i'm going to prove somebody wrong People had to write to their own opinions, right, Brand? They had to write to their own opinion. Take it with a grain of salt and stay with a, and stay laser focused. Um, be okay with failing, but learning from them. Don't get so bent red. When things don't go your way, or you get turned down for this, or you know you get told to know this, be okay with that, and be able to operate in the uncomfortable spaces. You know, learn how to tamper in those. But as human nature, when we're faced with resistance, what we do, we decant it. We get out of them. Like, I don't want to do that. I, public speaking, I'm not doing it. Being able to be nervous or being able to be uncomfortable and operate in that space, hunker down in that space, operate in that space and learn and, 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 and being able to and do great things in there. So all nuggets. It's not going to be peaches and creams, things that we just, we all have to work on. No one, no one. No one has the answers, the, the best answer. It's, again, who can be creative and what works for you, too. Thank you so much, man, Derek. We really appreciate it. Um, on, on the way out, we do like to have, like, a flash round of random questions. You don't have to think about it. These are just simple questions, man. Okay. We like to just, you know, decompress as we uh, exit out. First question is, if you could pick any superpower, what would it be and why? If I can pick any superpower, what would I be and why? I would like to be invisible okay. and be able to travel back in time if needed. It's because um, I want to be invisible just to see what other people are doing because I'm nosy like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a secret spy. Um, and being able to travel back in time just to see the progression of, of life itself. You know, we, we hear, you know, I'm a big history person. We hear a lot about history, but I would want to experience it. I know it's crazy as that sound, but I, I would love to experience it. 
Got it. Okay. All right. That's that's a great answer. Uh, okay. So cabin house or beach house? What's that? Uh, cabin house or a beach house? Uh, beach house for sure. All right. Okay. Let's go. Gotta go with the beach. And the last one, Celtics or Warriors? Oh, I know y'all. You guys are St. Louis. <laughs> hey, none yeah. of us are from St. Louis. No, I was going to say, I don't have a dog in the fight. Okay, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm going with the Warriors, man. Hey, still hey. down to one. We going with it? Yeah, well, I mean, okay. so I'm, I'm the bandwagon Warrior fan, right? Because five, six I'm, years ago, I'm with I'm Ryan LeBron, Cleveland, Kyrie, the whole nine yards. Now here it is. I'm talking about still. It doesn't feel right, but I'm. I'm I'm pulling for the Warriors. Um, Jason Tatum is a great talent. He is the face of the league. He didn't. So we talked about. I'm, I'm telling okay. you, but okay. for, for not. So he will be the face of the league. Not now. He will be the face of the league. I mean, it's still it's still LeBron's torch to pass on, or KD's, or whoever bandwagon you're driving on. I'm with LeBron, but uh, we talk about mentality. And we so for two things, LeBron is not going to give it up, hmm. but Tatum can go and take it. If he takes it, he will be guarantee you he will be the best player and considered the best player in the NBA. Right. But it's up for him the mentality. Yeah, always it's, profound. Man. That's right. He has the skill level. I'm telling you, man. I, I watch a steady basketball. I still believe that uh, pound for pound, Durant is a better player than LeBron. But at the end of the day. LeBron is the best player in the NBA. Undisputed. Undisputed, for sure. For right sure. now, undisputed. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it was a game, game four, game four tonight. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see what happens. We'll see That's if tonight. the Warriors, yes, it is tonight. See if the Warriors are, can tie this bad boy up because I do not want to see the Celtics win, you know. So, uh, so I got it before we leave and wrap up. What are you guys' thoughts? South is going to win. They're going to take it. They're going to take the whole thing. I think it's pretty clear to me. Um, uh, game one was very clear. You know, Steph went off, had an amazing first, you know, quarter and all that. And they were still down by four points going into the half. So I was like, it's a wash. Game, game two, expected that, you know. Um, and then here we are. It's, it's terrible because I'm from Philly. So, you know, <laughs> I got so many people that are, for whatever reason, Celtics fans. Um, in, in my DMs right now, and I'm just like, man, this is disgusting to watch. So I'm hoping the Warriors can turn around, but I don't think they will. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I agree with Winston, man. They they look really small. The Celtics, look, the, Celtics the, the the Warriors look really small out there. Jalen Brown was actually having his way that's that, that second third game, and I was that's, like, you know what? Yeah, I don't think it's, it's looking over. too good. Yeah, but that's my opinion. I wouldn't put my like last dollar against Steph. Though. I'm not gonna put my last dollar against Steph. Though. Clay gotta he gotta get that thing a little bit more wet. I don't know what's yeah. going on. It's dry right now. <laughs> man, hey, we we need to talk offline about Clay, but I uh, I got my I got my uh, my a few remarks about about Clay right now, where he is a part of his career. So he's trying to prove himself. Well, that was that. Thank you all uh, for hanging on for the basketball talk. Thank you, Derek, uh, for joining us on the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. <laughs> Well, that's it for the episode, and we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling.